Good morning, church. Hope you're all doing well. Who, who here needs a word from the Lord this morning? I reckon a few of us probably. My guess is that probably all of us need to put our hand up there. I want to hear from the Lord every single day. So I believe that the Lord has spoken to me. And so I believe that our answer should be, yeah, please, I want to hear from the Lord right now. So at the start, to give a bit of backstory, at the start of the year, a bunch of us read through the book of Acts together. Uh, we were asking God to reshape our expectations towards his church. And we thought, well, what better place to go than the Bible? Because it's always good to go to the Bible to hear about what God wants to say about his church. And back in February, I gave a talk off the back of that journey through Acts, which I called Love Church. And I want to revisit that this morning. So we call this Love Church too. Now, as, as pastors of Everyday Church, we, uh, one of our main functions is to help you encounter Jesus. One of our main functions is to help you encounter Jesus. And from looking at the Bible, we would believe that one of those ways that we can do that is by encouraging like a daily personal walk with Jesus. That you take seriously yourself, that you do every day, that you pursue him every day. Another way that we find really key to helping us encounter more of Jesus is to, is to build small groups where we can meet together. Where we can gather together and we can open the word of God, we can share a meal, we can come together with other believers from different backgrounds and with different preferences maybe. And we can speak about what Jesus is doing in our lives collectively. And the third way that we can grow as disciples is for us to gather here this morning, to be a part of a local church, to give ourselves to what God is doing in a local place uh, together. And the only way that any of those three things can happen is by giving access to the Holy Spirit. Each one of those three things cannot function without the, the Holy Spirit having control over who we are as people. So that's it in a nutshell. And I'm utterly convinced, like totally, totally convinced, that without these three things in focus, we don't grow as followers of Jesus. Okay, we, we just don't. Now you've probably heard me say this before because I just think it's a killer truth. God's plan A for establishing his kingdom on earth is through the local church. It's where he first and foremost puts his Holy Spirit and shapes things. Not some building, not some set of programs, but him and his people. Now, if you're a member of Everyday Church, as many of you will be, I hope that this is a really timely, helpful reminder of what you're part of. And perhaps if you're visiting this morning or if you're not a member of this church, it will be a really helpful, timely reminder that you can actually belong to something, that you can find your place here. So I want to address both, both you groups of people. And a little while ago, I asked the question. Some of you may remember it, some of you may not. I asked the question, what are we even a part of? What are we even a part of? Now, to help answer that, if you take a look at London, there are two sides to London. I don't know if you've thought about it like this before. One side of London is really lonely and quite isolating. But the other side of London, there's full of distractions, like there's full of clubs and initiatives and programs that we can give ourselves to. There's loads and loads of things throughout the course of a week that we can get involved in. So there's that part of London, and then there's also the part of London that is just really lonely and isolated. So to answer the question, like what are we part of here at Everyday Church? We are a, very, a group of very ordinary people, everyday people, gathering to worship and to be changed by an ex oh, extraordinary God. Like, I, the word is, doesn't even cut it, but it's the only word I can think of, an extraordinary God. Now, just in case you're wondering, that's better than any sports activity, 
Any book club? Any sewing group? Tom? It's better than any gym class. It's better than anything else you could give yourself to in the rest of the week. It's essentially different. It's fundamentally different to anything else that we spend our time doing throughout the course of the week. Now, I don't know what your recent experience has been like of this church. I don't know what your experience of church has been like in general. I, have, I, I can't know that for everyone. I don't know what mindset or value system or, or social group that you allow yourself to be influenced by most. But from the bottom of my heart, and I mean this, I don't know how, how far down into my heart I can dig to make it have more power. I always want you to know that God loves you and that he has a place for you here. It's always his, heart's, his, his mindset. Now, I believe it because I'm convinced by what I read in the book of Acts. I'm still convinced by what this guy Luke wrote to the, about the early church. These people that were filled and they were fortified by the power of this Holy Spirit at work within them. We've spoken about it already this morning. And they discover this place of belonging for themselves too. Never mind what my vision might be like, what it might be for this church. This is what God's vision is for his local church. So we, look at, we looked at this at the start of the year and he never changes. So we can bank this now six or seven months later. So I wonder whether we can go forward. I think I've got uh, Acts 2 verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the, the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now why on earth would God not want to continue doing that today? I just find those verses so awe-inspiring. I can't help but read those verses and think that that's something that I want to give my life to. It's something that I want to be a part of. I can just imagine them laying everything down for God and for each other and it just fills me with such excitement about my own life. There's such a belief that God was with them. I don't know about you, but there is simply nothing I'd rather give my life to. None of my hobbies, none of my experiences, none of my travels, none of it compares to giving myself to the local church, pursuing God alongside other people who are willing to be transformed by him too. I believe that we'd much rather find uh, or be included in something truly grand than to try and make our own definitions ourselves. Now what have you got going on that would be better or more fulfilling? What have you got going on in life that could possibly be better than that? I'm not talking like, to heck with preferences and convenience and all that kind of stuff. I want to increasingly surrender myself more and more to following God's plan for what his local church might look like. Now we might have moments where we're going to be tempted to daydream about other stuff. You might think, well, business is going all right. I can start thinking about that. My kids are getting into a good school. Well, that's, I mean, that's, I'm going to start getting lost in the daydream about that. That fitness goal that I set out to achieve, well, that's going all right. I'm going to start daydreaming about that. That DIY project that we wanted to give ourselves to. We, we get distracted by all these other things in life. 
But I believe that everything else is a distraction to this. This is the primary thing. This is the thing that we should be giving our, our hearts and our minds to first and foremost. The other stuff might not be sinful, but it is secondary to God's plan. I've said this before, there is no greater honour than being part of a local church. I've racked my brains, I can't think of one. There is no greater honour than being a part of this with you guys together. Amen. Whoever said that, thank you. Amen. This isn't some community centre, it's not some social club. We're part of something that God has set apart to be radical, to be holy. Something that he wants to empower with his Holy Spirit, like Jude was saying. We learned about this at the conference last week. He empowers us with his Holy Spirit. And we've got to continually fight to reclaim and to, to have that restored into our minds over and over again. You know, God demands, everyday Southfields, God demands our devotion to it. Can you just close your eyes for a second? I, I, want to, I don't want to go any further without praying. I need the help of the Holy Spirit right now. God, where we might have grown comfortable or numb to any of this, would you turn it back to life in our minds? Spirit of God, where we might have lost our thirst for your kingdom, I want to ask you to bring it back right now. Amen. So as I encourage us to reclaim uh, a love of God together with his people, you know, his, you're his people, right? Crazy to think, but you're his people. I want us to get a little inspiration from the Old Testament. I've been reading this story a couple of weeks ago in my quiet time, so I want us to turn uh, to have a look. Two Chronicles, it's probably a book you don't often dip into, but I was spending some time in it. And we meet, in 2 Chronicles 17, we meet this king, king of Judah called Jehoshaphat. Pretty cool name. I was reading about him, and the Holy Spirit highlighted this man's character. So if you're on your devices or if you've got your Bible with you, turn to 2 Chronicles 20. We're introduced to this dude in 2 Chronicles 17, and we learn uh, in this part that Jehoshaphat was a man who was devoted to God. He was committed to the things of God's kingdom, and as a result of that, God's kingdom started getting established around this man. I'm going to wait for you guys to turn there. It's, uh, it's helpful to have it in front of you. 2 Chronicles 20. So he's committed to God and stuff of the kingdom starts getting established around this man's life. Do you know what? I want nothing more than to be committed to God and to see things of his kingdom established around my life. I don't know about you. Now, are you committed to him? Chris is committed to him. I know she is as well. If you believe that you're committed to him, I believe that there should be evidence of his kingdom coming around you. Because I see it in this man's character, like the commitment leads to a kingdom around him. So if you're committed to him, I believe that you should be able to see evidence of the kingdom coming around you in your day-to-day -day life. So Jehoshaphat goes through a couple of chapters. We're meeting in chapter 17, we're going to pick him up in chapter 20. But he begins getting seriously tested by the Lord. I, want, I know some of you are going through some testing times right now, so you're going to relate to this. By chapter 20, he's got some enemies that are up against him. He is facing some difficulties. God's word says in verse 3, it's a funny word, he says, God says that Jehoshaphat was alarmed by this. I think there's enemies coming over the hill at this guy and he says he was alarmed. I bet he was. I bet he was very, very alarmed. But true to character, Jehoshaphat gathers himself, he gathers his people, he stands before the Lord and the, pe the people begin fasting. 
And they start seeking God together. Now, just a little side note, because it talks about fasting. You might not be aware of what fasting is, or you might not have done it for a long time. Fasting is this thing where we can we refuel our minds with the kingdom by putting certain things down in our lives that might be a distraction or might be something that we can get preoccupied by. Often it's food, because I get very preoccupied by food, but it can be lots of things. I want to encourage you, if you haven't fasted before, or it's been a while since you do it, try doing it once a week. I guarantee that God starts doing something through that fasting, that when you gather together, your mindset is in a different place. I've found it to be true for myself, so I encourage you, if you haven't done it before, start fasting once a week and see what happens. Start coming before God instead, and I bet you he starts changing your mindset towards gathering with your people before him. So anyway, our text says that Jehoshaphat, so this is in 2 Chronicles 20, then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and he said this, Lord, The God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands, and no one can withstand you. And then he goes on a little bit later. He says, if calamity comes upon us, us, there's a clue there, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we, we, will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. So we, us, our, it's all that kind of language, and you will hear us and you will save us. Now he then begins speaking to God about these enemies. He, he names his enemies, he starts calling them out before God, which is a really good idea to do. And then he concludes with one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible. Right, this is, I love this. I, I pray this prayer all the time. In fact, could we go forward one side? I think I've got it up here. This is a prayer that you are allowed to pray because it's in the Bible. He says this before the people, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. Now, as you gather together, I mean, I, I, just to give you a little hint, I pray this prayer all the time. God, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer throughout the course of your week. It's a killer prayer. Now, as you gather here together on a Sunday, as you gather here together every Sunday, I should say, a little nudge for you there. As you gather here together each Sunday, as you share life with one another in life group, a little nudge there, in life group, I have no doubt that there's going to be times where pain and struggle comes up. I have no doubt that there's going to be times where fear and anxieties and worries start creeping in. Just that's what happens in life. It crops up. We can't even help it. There's going to be circumstances that come along that make it very tempting to go alone, to go it alone and shoulder stuff by ourselves. I know that distractions are tempting. Boy, do I know it. I, I experience it myself. And our natural inclination is to go it alone. That's a foolish thing to do. It is foolish to do that. But I just love the honesty and the vulnerability that Jehoshaphat, he he tees it up before his people. He speaks it out on their behalf. Now, I don't think he said this in an emotionless kind of, oh God, we don't know what to do. I think he's laying it all out. It's like, God, I can see my enemies coming over that hill. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. He empties himself before his people. 
Not I, not they, we. Jehoshaphat, he acknowledges through this prayer that they are just everyday people crying out to an extraordinary God. He knows that the only remedy to being overwhelmed by the distractions is for the people to fix their eyes on God. And then there's this other dude in the crowd. You can read about it a little bit later in that chapter. This guy named Jehazel, which is a very cool name. I love that name. Jehazel, he stands up and he wants to get alongside Jehoshaphat. So he builds up the people as well. And he says this as well. Do not be discouraged. I want to speak that right into the center of your life. Do not be discouraged. This fight belongs to God. Who wants that word? Amen. The fight belongs to God. Your fight belongs to God. Take up your positions and stand firm. Let me remind you of something again. You're part of something. Stand firm. Stand firm. As we fix our eyes on God together, God will continue to put his power in front of us if we stand firm. Now, Jehoshaphat and his people, they had real enemies coming over the hill. We can read about them. They're named, they're known. And they had real distractions before them that would have been fighting against their attention, that would have been trying to get them to look away from their Lord God. Guess what? So do you. So do you. You have an opponent. You have an enemy. The devil. And his main aim is to stop you encountering God in your life. His main aim is to stop you coming into the power and the presence of Jesus in your life. His main aim is to stop you knowing the glory of God growing and growing and growing in your life. To stop you gathering with God's people and setting your eyes upon him together. Now if you don't believe me, just take a look at your diary for a second. I don't mean get it out, like do a little mental check through your diary. Throughout the course of any given week, I bet you there are a lot of distractions that come up that serve very well at taking your eyes off God. I don't know your diaries, but I, I'm going to have a hunch that that will be the case. They, they fight against our attention on God. They, okay, I've got that coming up on Monday. I've got that thing I've got to go on Tuesday. Before you know it, you're just, your eyes are off God. For, you know, for some time I've been carrying this word, so I want to say it pretty carefully. Um, I believe that we are a distracted people distracted by so many things I believe that this morning God wants to impart a fresh sense of awe in some of you a fresh sense of awe which says that going forward you're going to come before him with a great, greater level of excitement than you've had before you're going to start gathering with his people with more anticipation than you've had before and one of the ways that the enemy hinders that happening in our lives, hinders that expectation of encountering Jesus together, is by tempting our minds to be restless and distracted by other things. In fact, not, not other things, by everything else. I get distracted by so many things. But distraction leads to disconnection, which leads to disappointment. Distraction leads to disconnection, from his people, which leads to disappointment. I believe that for our eyes to be fixed on Jesus, 
I want to have my eyes fixed on Jesus. Please help me, God. We need to acknowledge a prodigal spirit in some of us. This prodigal spirit that has been working into our lives without us maybe even realising it. Now give me a few moments to unpack that because that, that could be a little bit confrontational for some people. So in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 15, we are uh, told this story, this parable by Jesus, and we're introduced to this father who has two sons. Some of you will know it, but I don't want to assume that all of you will know it because you won't. So we meet this father with two sons. Now one aspect of the parable shows us that this younger son decides to leave his father's house. He's kind of had enough of what his father's given him and he just wants to take what he thinks is his or what he thinks he deserves. And he wants to take it from the father and go off and do it on his own. That's one aspect of the, of the parable. He thinks, well, I've had what I need from my dad. I'm going, to go, I'm going to leave his house and go it alone. And it says in verse 13, so Luke chapter 15, verse 13, not long after that, he began to be in need. So it turns out he can't go it alone. He doesn't last very long. Before long, he doesn't know what to do. He's in a very, very dark place and he's just surrounded by, by isolation and loss. And this beautiful thing happens. He returns to the father. He returns to his father's house and his dad, where his dad is there with his arms open. He welcomes his son back into the fold. He, they celebrate. He, he is restored, not just to where he was before, but even beyond where he was before. This kindness and this love of the father that welcomes him back into his house, I just, it blows my head. That's just an amazing, amazing story. And the prodigal spirit beforehand is saying, well, I'm not going to spend time in my father's house. I've got what I need from him. I've got better options elsewhere. No, you don't. No, you don't. God would say to you this morning, there's a place for you here. Come and receive it. Every day, Southwoods, I, I want you to listen to, to this for a second. We've got, I think, about approximately 65 members that are part of this church. People who are saved and baptized and said, we are with you. We are in this together. On top of that, there's a, I think there's about 30 or 35 children. We've got about a dozen or so people that, are, that, that come to this church but haven't yet become members for one reason or another. And then every single week, just by the grace of God, we get people visiting us. Different faith backgrounds, maybe different, like, diff come from different areas. Like, that's the kind of makeup of what we find in this place. That, the, the kind of uh, figures that I'm talking about here that make up this body of people. And as far as I'm concerned, and I, I mean this so much, every single one of those people is a gift from God. Every single one, a gift of his grace. Every single one, way, way, way more than me and Tom and Ed deserve to pastor as the leaders of this church. Every single one of you. Now, our desire as pastors is that everyone might connect in with God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in doing that, we would connect, sorry, we connect up with God and then we connect in with one another. Whether it's here on a Sunday or whether it's actively part of a life group together. That's the great consequence of knowing God more, that your devotion to him going that way actually starts going that way, up and then in. And the result of connecting up with God and connecting in with one another is that we are more, more effective in the way that we connect out with a world that needs to know Jesus. There is a world around us that needs to know that they are loved, they are accepted, that they have got a place of forgiveness that they can find. There is a seat at the table for them as well. 
And if we don't connect up and we don't connect in with one another, we aren't very effective at connecting out. Knowing who God is and knowing what you're a part of shines as a, of a huge beacon to a lonely and isolating culture that we're surrounded by. So as we carry one another, as we encourage one another, as we scatter out to the different places, different families and workplaces and different clubs and playgroups and all the different things that you guys are involved with Monday to Saturday, we need to be fueled by connecting up and in with one another. One of my main passions in life, and I, I do mean this, one of my main passions is that you would encounter Jesus more. It's a real big preoccupation of mine. And it's why we, we want to see people saved. We want to see people baptized. We're going to be doing a, the next preaching series is going to be called 3D Jesus. It's, it's this kind of thing that we're unpacking now where we, we're three-dimensional followers of Jesus. If we, if, if we don't connect up and in and out, we aren't effective as disciples. Now, each month, there are approximately eight kind of moments where we can do this together. We've got every time on a Sunday morning, that's once a, once a week, and every week in a life group. So throughout the course of a given month, there's about eight moments where we can be together doing this. I just, I've asked you to take a little mental scan of your calendars. Go, go back to those calendars for a second. My estimation is that there's a lot of things that get in the way of those eight touch points. My estimation would be that on average, most of us are at those things about four times a month. So like 50% of the time, we're missing the chance to be together. I want to gently challenge that this morning. No, I'm going to gently challenge it. I want to really, I want to profoundly challenge it, but I'm going to do it gently this morning. I want to suggest that some of you need to spend more time together. I'm going to let that drop for a second. Some of you need to spend more time together. I'm sure you're devoted to all kinds of things. I know I am. But our devotion to Jesus requires devotion to each other as well. It's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit makes us more like the Jesus that we've been singing to this morning. Because he was totally committed to a group of people. And I want to be more like him, which means I'm going to have to be more committed to a group of people myself. Who are you devoted to? Who are you devoted to? What would it take for that devotion to increase between now and the end of the year? Who do you stand next to as you fix your eyes on Jesus? I would suggest that if we only gather together with his people twice a month, or if you never really give yourself to a life group, I think you've become sidetracked by the other stuff of life. Our relationship with him changes everything. He needs to be our first love. We sang a song just earlier, all I want is you. All I want is you. The one that we are primarily preoccupied by. Now the prodigal says, well I've actually had enough of my father's house, I don't need him any longer. Well look where it got him. I'm going to go it alone a bit for myself. No, no, he didn't last very long. We have an enemy who hates, 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 hates it when we're together. He hates it when we collectively turn our attention towards Jesus because he knows that there's huge transformational power at work when we come together. It is very difficult, let's have listening ears on for a second, it is very difficult 
to be a kingdom individual if you're disconnected from a kingdom people. I was watching Serengeti the other day with the kids at home. It is really good. I recommend going to iPlayer and watching it. This amazing footage of these wildlife scenes, but it's always the case. When it's that, that wildebeest that gets cut off from the crowd, he's the one that the lioness comes to get. Always the case. That plays out in our faith as well. If we get disconnected from the, from the people of God, we are easy pickings. If the people in our lives are ever going to find their true purpose in Jesus, I want the people in my life to encounter real Jesus. I don't know about you, I'm, I want that for my life. One of the key ways that they're going to see that or experience God is by exposing them to a community of believers that is so different to anything else they're going to find anywhere else that all they can do is come to the herd. When they realize that they've actually been going alone for a long time, they want to be part of the herd and we need to demonstrate that to them. Jehoshaphat was, um, he and his people were surrounded by confusion and threat. They had, they had a number of ways that they could have reacted. But instead of going with the enemy, they actually came before the Lord God Almighty. Life took a turn. They weren't sure what to do, so they fixed their eyes on him. Together. I think there's an image coming up. Would you mind going to the next one, Guy? I don't know if you remember these. These magic eye images, they were, they were really big when I was younger. I'll be honest, I, I was terrible at them. But these colours and these patterns, you're encouraged to stare at them for a while. And apparently, if you stare long enough in the, in the right way, if you kind of, you know, you have to pull a bit of a dumb face, you're like, you have to tilt your head a little bit, and you're like, you're trying to see, see what's going on. Apparently, an image comes to the foreground. I, just to tee it up, I don't know what the images are here, so don't look too hard, because I don't know what you're looking at. I just Googled that quickly. You can look long and hard all you want. But apparently, if you look properly, in a particular way, the images come forward. Something that was concealed becomes clear. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, we'll start seeing what God sees. Yes, it can feel messy. It can feel a little bit intrusive. It can feel out of focus often. Boy, do I know that. But church, you are the people of God. You are the people of God. This isn't some gimmick. It's not a performance that we come up with. I know these guys are very talented, but it's not a performance. None of it is. If your life is hidden in Jesus, see some of you still trying to find those images up there. Don't stop looking. <laughs> if your life is hidden in Jesus, if you've been baptized, as Ruth so helpfully pointed out, if you've repented of your sins, the power of the Holy Spirit can reside in you. It can live, he can live in you. And that means that every time we worship together, every time we pray together, every time we gather together, every time we eat together, Every time we serve together, spending time in this place or in each other's homes, we can start seeing life with a little bit more clarity. The kingdom starts coming into focus. I want to encourage you to orientate your week. Go back to those diaries. Orientate your week around this and meeting in each other's houses in life group. Life groups begin next week. Now we're soon going to be starting a new one in, in Rains Park as well to help serve some of the people that live out that way. 
Orientate your week around those two things. And then do you know what? Do it again the next week. And again, and again, and again. Forge holy habits and pursue hunger for heaven together. Everyone say together. Together. Do you believe in the potential of the church more now than you did 12 months ago? Some of you do. Some of you won't. I want to invite you to think why that might be. If not, why not? Is it because you've been distracted by some other stuff? You can't go alone. You won't last. Jesus is building his church and there's nothing else like it on earth. He is the reason that we gather here today. There's, there's zilch reason for us gathering here other than to proclaim the name of Jesus and to seek his glory. There's no other reason. If God is committed to us encountering him here, and boy is he, he is very committed to us coming before him. We need to approach our times together with more hunger, with more ownership, with more wonder. The first chord is strong. I'm like, there, I, I, I can't help it. Like Jude and Cara and, and Ruth were saying, like we, some of us were at Ashburnham last week, it was just amazing. I was kind of twinged with a bit of sadness though, because I was thinking, this is incredible. I'm just delighting in the fact that I'm before my throne, uh, before his throne, with all these people from different nations across the UK and across Europe and beyond. So many different people. I was just enjoying it so much, but I was just like, oh, I wish more of my people were here to encounter it too. I really, I, I felt that kind of twinge of, of sadness because I was like, we're part of something big. New ground, the, the group of family, the family churches that we're part of, it's really exciting to be a part of it. It really, really is. It was a powerful reminder to me that because Jesus died on the cross, because he took the sins of the world on his shoulders, because he was buried and because he rose again and, and rose back to the right hand of God the Father with a finished work under his belt, You and I get to be a part of something astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. A redeemed people that he is transforming and uniting before his throne. I wanna, can we go forward? I think there's a, a, a verse from Revelation 21. This is just an amazing, amazing, amazing image. I want you to just get lost in wonder for this thing. Look, it says, with an exclamation mark. Look. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Hallelujah. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said I am making everything new I am making everything new it says look look with your eyes fixed on other things you don't know what you're doing you and I don't know what we're doing in life look he's doing something and if you're knitted together with his people, if you've been baptised in his name, if you're thirsty for his spirit to change you. you know, I'm thirsty right now. I'm talking about a real thirst. 
Unless you have these things established in your life, your, your faith will not last and you're going to get distracted by the other stuff. Just in case you're wondering, there's no such thing as a perfect church. No such thing. Anyone that claims it is, is wrong. There's going to be times where it feels awkward, where we don't really know what's happening. There's going to be times where I make mistakes and where you make mistakes. But through every season, through the struggles and the successes, my heart is that we would have our eyes fixed on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who overcomes darkness, who restores life, and who promises to make everything new again. promises to make all things new again I wonder whether you can stand please I think it's really helpful I think this normally anyway but the fact that I've seen it modelled by Jehoshaphat gives me the green light again I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a second I want to invite you just to scan through your life, the stuff that's been going on recently, and if you feel isolated in any way, or disconnected from God's people in any way, okay, everyone's got their eyes shut, please honour that, shut your eyes, and invite you just to raise your hand. If you feel isolated or disconnected in any area of your life, I invite you to raise your hand. There's a few people raising their hands already. Lay hold of that thing that you're thinking about. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes what we're thinking and feeling and praying and he takes it to the throne room. He takes it to heaven and he says he will put it before the Father. So even if you can't gather your thoughts properly, even if it feels messy and it's a bit confusing like one of those magic eye pictures, lay hold of that thing that you're thinking about and I'm going to pray into it and the Holy Spirit is going to take it where it needs to go. And God is going to deal with it in the way that it needs to be dealt with. I want to include in this as well, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you are on the wrong path. I don't want to mince my words. You are on the wrong path. I want to include you and say, put your hand up as well. I'm going to pray into that. We're going to take communion together. I'll hand back over to Ruth and these guys will lead us in a couple of songs. But lay hold of that thing that you're feeling isolated by or disconnected by. Spirit of God, we invite you now to go to town on our lives. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed upon you. We ask God that you would start something new again in our lives, right here, right now. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed upon you. Holy Spirit, would you come and take the things that we are trying to do by ourselves? Would you take those relationships that we feel strained by? Would you take those responsibilities at work that we just feel under the pump because of? Would you take the tensions that we might feel in our households? If we are facing financial difficulties, if we have pain in our bodies, 
God, I want to say a blanket prayer over the lot of it and say, God, would you do a great work? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed upon you. We need your help, God. Humble our hearts to know that we need your help in everything. And something powerful happens when the people of God come together and lay those things up before God together. He carries your burden. We don't know what to do, God, but our eyes are fixed on you.